Did anyone on new faces get a new face? Does Keris Matthew still hang out with Tommy from space? Well, we're still on a come down from Answer Me This 300 listeners. Well, Jennifer is uh, still recovering because she says, uh, I had a mini stroke at the end of AMT 300 uh, when I thought it was the last ever episode. Hopefully not a real one. I think that's a term of phrase. No, that was just uh, Jesse and Theresa Thorne uh, playing a little trick on you, really. We were just jerking your dicks. Well, Phil's response is, Tony Blackburn seems not to understand the difference between garnish and seasoning. Yeah, I that's was thinking right. that, yeah. 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 When he was talking about his mashed potato cookery tips, which, by the way, I think was Tony Blackburn sort of secretly angling for a, uh, a new uh, career at doing cuisine on television. Look, he's got all those hours in which he's not on the radio. It must be like a couple of hours a week to Phil still. Uh, I'd kind of watch that, wouldn't you, on Food Network, Blackburn's barbecue. Blackburn, Blackburns, in which he just scorches <laughs> stuff until it's inedible. I, I can imagine the tie-in book with a picture of Tony wearing a, a chef's hat and an apron outside yeah. prodding a blackened sausage. We can all imagine that. Yeah, I don't think he'd like sausages because they contain more than one flavour, which he seems to really be quite adamant against. In fact, a lot of sausages would contain nutmeg or mace. He was really anti-nutmeg, wasn't he? But yeah, uh, seasoning is uh, very different to garnish and Tony only really addressed seasoning, not garnish. And I think that just goes to show that although we make question answering look effortless, (laughs) these noobs have a long way to go to be as expert as us. That's right, yeah. You can say a lot of things about Tony Blackburn, but he's certainly not a broadcasting veteran, not by a long stretch. (laughs) Leo calling from Southern California, responding to where the Dalai Lama stays from episode 299, I can tell you. I once stayed at the Sheraton in downtown Vancouver, British Columbia, and I had a room next to the Dalai Lama. It was an okay room, but it was in a corner. It wasn't a plush, plush room. It wasn't on the uh, top floor. It was all right. And the only reason I know that the Dalai Lama had the room next door is that as I was clumsily going into or out of my room, I bumped into the Dalai Lama and I knocked him onto the ground and then he apologised to me. (laughs) (laughs) Of course he bloody did. I think when you're the Dalai Lama, you're always on. It's a bit like being a Spice Girl in that respect. If you sort of turned around and said, watch where you're going, buddy, it wouldn't have been very in character. Off brand. It's important. It's important to keep projecting brand Lama, I think. And also, I'm sure he's had worse than being knocked to the ground in a mid-level hotel. Actually, but it is, it's nice, isn't it, to hear reassuringly that it was, as we predicted in the show, mid-level. Yep. Four stars, yep. you know, you'd put your gran up there, but you wouldn't necessarily say, oh, head of state kind of place. Yeah, um, Imelda Marcos, come on in. Exactly. Um, bizarrely, we had quite a few of you. I suppose it's a testament to the fact that our audience is growing, and thank you for that, uh, but we can apparently <laughs> talk about where the Dalai Lama stays, and about four of you got in touch with various different <laughs> hotel spots of the Dalai Lama. Of different ranges as well. Uh, yeah, so one- presumably some of it is going to be geographically dictated whether a Dalai Lama appropriate hotel is available or not. That's right, because we heard from one person that he stayed in a mid-level hotel, but in Mayfair, where mm. all the hotels are quite nice. Uh, someone else said he stayed in what effectively sounded like an Airbnb in Reading. Um, but um, <laughs> my favourite one is from Damon, uh, who says, back in 2002, I was working near Stanford University in California. One night, a friend of mine and I popped into our local Sizzler that's a uh, national chain of steak and salad bar restaurants, apparently. Sounds sizzly. Yeah. Sizzling salads. You've put your finger on a problem with the brand there, I think, immediately. You don't want a sizzling salad, do you? If the mm. salad is as important as the steak, 
then you want a name that encompasses steak and salad. It's all very alliterative as well. Sizzler steak and salad. I mean, you're going to spit a lot when you're describing the restaurant. Uh, He continues, in the back corner, surrounded by quite an impressive entourage of Tibetan monks, I think we can guess who this is going to be, uh, and it isn't going to be Kevin Spacey, (laughs) uh, was none other than the Dalai Lama himself. My friend worked up the courage to go and speak with one of the university staffers with them and ask the obvious question, why would you bring one of the most famous world leaders into such a cheap restaurant? The staffer responded that it was the Dalai Lama's choice, as he had heard that their salad bar was quite inexpensive, and as his entourage were vegetarians, they knew they could get a quality meal at a very low price. See, Dalai Lama doesn't want to waste money on human indulgence when that money could go to more worthy causes. And also, unlimited salad bar, who doesn't love that more than almost any other thing? (laughs) I think that is probably true. I'm saying that because I had my first ever experience at a harvester yesterday. Oh, well done. (laughs) Thank you. I wonder if the Tibetan monks just sneaked a few uh, honeyed bacon bits into their no. salad. You would, wouldn't you? No. If, if Lama didn't know about it. You wouldn't, no. even, you wouldn't even want them if you were on that higher plane spiritually. There must be a compromise, though, for Tibetan monks going to uh, a sizzler. Uh, in mm. that, um, yes, it's vegetarian uh, when you have the salad bar, but it's a business built on steak, number one. Number yeah. two, also the ethics, and I'm not saying anything against you, the legal representatives of Sizzler, if you are listening, um, but the ethics of those kind of big corporations, you know, there are always question Troubling. marks, aren't Troubling. there? You know, and if you're a monk, you've got to really play safe. I suppose in America, it's often quite hard to find vegetarian food at all, but you would have thought in the Bay Area, it'd be one of the easier places to mm. find it. That's right, yeah. Why didn't they go to a nice Mexican and have vegetarian tacos? Yeah. Oh, that's a good call. Mm. Well, here's a question from Andy from Chelmsford in Essex, and he says, Recently, someone got locked into a bookshop in London. Do you remember this? There was yes. a man who was uh, tweeting because he was locked inside of Waterstones. Yes, it was, it was the Waterstones on Trafalgar Square, I believe. Um, and uh, he was in there for a few hours one evening? I think it was actually only a couple of hours. It um, feels like longer. He'd have been all right, though, because there's uh, an in-store Costa there. There's toilets. So actually, yeah, you've got everything you need to live for a week. Well, Andy says, it got me thinking about what I would do if I was locked in a bookshop overnight. For instance, build a book fort, read like mad, correct the shelves as I bet they put series in the wrong order. Did it really take a lot of thinking for you to think you might read like mad if you were locked in a bookstore? Surely that's everyone's <laughs> first the, thought. What's the one thing they would <laughs> never think of? It's actually a good point, isn't it? If you were locked in any other kind of store, you'd have to take things out of their packaging. But a book is designed to be yeah. taken off the shelf and you can read it casually. You not feel guilty that you're using the stock. Because a lot of people must have fantasised about being trapped in a toy store when they're young. But then all that oh. blister packaging, you need to take a tin opener with you just to get into the toys. Also, being uh, overnight in a branch of Toys R Us, I think would be really creepy. Imagine a big warehouse. Mm. It's dark. Mm. The strip lights aren't on. And they all come alive. And there's giant Jeffrey inflatables everywhere. Mm. I mean, imagine you're mm. at one end of the store and suddenly you hear a netball bouncing in aisle 17. It's the yeah. stuff of absolute horror. I had quite a good time in what felt like overnight, but it was really just the time it took you to buy your parents some new garden lounges in John Lewis. <laughs> uh, and I think it took about six to seven years for you to order them. And I sat in one of those sort of dangling wicker egg chairs that you can gently sway and oh, bounce yeah, up and down fun. in. Yeah. I could have stayed in that for a long time. Yes, I think John Lewis Oxford Street would be a good store to be locked in yeah. because, because there's so many departments. Well, indeed, you yeah. can take your pick. Well, Andy says, <laughs> because my brain likes to take things too far, I began to wonder which part of my body I would eat if I was trapped in there. No, he says, I began to wonder which bookshops I would like to be trapped in. Ah. That is crazy talk, Andy. Simmer Mm. down. So, Ollie, answer me this. What's the largest bookshop in the UK and in the world? Mm -hmm. And, just because I'm a nosy so-and-so, if you got trapped in a bookshop overnight, 
Where would it be? Okay. That would never happen to you because you're never in a bookshop. What would you do in a bookshop? Uh, I do like reading enough <laughs> that if I was trapped in a bookshop, I would read. I wouldn't be like, no, I'm a Philistine. <laughs> I mean, um, they've probably got a rack of magazines that you could enjoy. They have picture books. Um, <laughs> they actually, porn and quiz me. In all seriousness, I don't think the size of the bookshop matters. It's, I, it's what you do with it that exactly. counts. Exactly. <laughs> if you're going to be locked in one, it's better that... Like, I'd like to be locked in one that specialised in film and TV books because that's Ooh, what I'm yes, interested in. lovely. Like, showbiz biographies, that would keep me entertained overnight. Mm. I would like to be locked in one that specialised in having comfy chairs where you can read the books for free like Borders used to yes uh, exactly that's important comfort is really really important and, and the new branch of foils that they've just spent loads mm. of money doing uh, which by the way I think is the answer to his first question I think that is the biggest bookstore in the UK yes um, I don't think that's a very comfortable vibe in there very sterile it all feels like a big Ikea cupboard yeah it's like right buy something and then leave please yeah. do not sit exactly not what you want from a bookstore and the largest in the world I believe is the bookstore we've both been to, which is Powell's in oh. Portland, that in is, Oregon. That is the largest by shelf space. Okay, but the largest by area is Barnes and Noble on Fifth Avenue in New York. But I think shelf space is important because Absolutely. when you're talking about size of bookshop store, you really mm. mean what's got the most books in it. So uh, I, yeah. I still think my answer stands. And actually, Powell's is the one that I would choose to be locked in overnight because it's so bloody big that it would be the only way that I could have enough time to at least get my bearings in there. Mm. The other thing that's good about that bookstore is that they mix secondhand and new on the yes. same shelves yes. which I'd never seen in any bookshop before ever it's madness um, like Blackwell's in Oxford also a good bookstore which I used yeah. to go to all their secondhand stuff's on the top yeah. so they're like two separate shops whereas I really like the fact that in that bookshop you've got because that's what made it impossible for me to leave without buying a book. I wasn't <laughs> just got, look, yeah. yeah, I wasn't just looking at the new stuff. I've just then found books that I thought, oh, that's out of print. If I don't buy it now, yeah. I'm never going to get it. But also there's Wi-Fi in there. There's cake. There's a lavatory. <laughs> there's there, are, there are gifts for when you're bored. There was a good cafe in there. Is there? I didn't so, get that far. And, and therefore, I think even if you got sick of books, there would be plenty of entertainments to have. Yeah, and also it's, op- it's open late and opens up early-ish. So you'd get out without too much time in there on your own in the dark. There was a shop called The Biggest Bookshop in the World in Toronto, but it closed down this year. It was in an old uh, bowling alley. Well, I suppose the thing that people want from bookshops nowadays is not actually just, you know, loads and loads of books, but a sense of curation. Yeah. I mean, you know, there's Amazon, isn't there, for loads and loads of books? Yes. But actually people want a sense of... If you walk through these shelves, you'll find something interesting. It's why Bookseller Quarry and Crystal Palace is the best. And actually, I would quite like to be uh, locked in there overnight because... I feel like he wouldn't mind if he came in in the morning and found me asleep on the floor. I think he'd find that a little bit weird. Well, I think he'd just be like, oh, there again. I fainted in there <laughs> once and uh, that was all right. So I'm sure the sleep wouldn't be that much different. Also, there's a window out to the street, isn't there? So you'd yes. be able to ask for help or just sit and watch the world go by. Yes. Um, all the world going down Westo Street to Weatherspoons. Yeah. <laughs> Hello, it's Jimmy from Harpenden. Helen and Ollie, answer me this. Uh, there's a new pound coin coming out. So... What would your design be for the tails side of it? I think the only sensible choice really would be the Queen's arse. I'm surprised they've never gone for that before. I think it would show off the British sense of humour and I think it would bring levity into every heads and tails decision. I would want it to be saggy because what they've done with the face, if you've noticed, in the new profile pic of the Queen, there are more jowls than ever before. Well, she's nearly 90. Yeah, but She's still looking good. Don't get me wrong, I absolutely think she is, but I appreciate that about the Royal Mint. You know, they don't completely uh, shy away from the uh, grim realities of ageing. Yeah, I reckon they're going to put emoji on there. I think they're going to put that one which has, is smiling, but it's got big fat tears coming out of its face. Which, whenever someone puts that on a Facebook post, I think they're overreacting to whatever that post was. <laughs> but my rec- recollection of the backside of a coin is that the tails is a fairly abstract design. I mean, it, it, it varies quite a lot. They have thistles, they have feathers. Could you not have some sort of like uh, like atoms or buckyballs or things like that? They look quite nice. What's a, what's a buckyball? 
It's, it's a cage of carbon with 60 atoms. It's an icosahedron. Yeah. I did my PhD on it, Ollie. Why can't they have on the back of the coin Prince Harry playing naked pool in Vegas? <laughs> <laughs> that would restore the economy, wouldn't it? I think it? you're taking tales a little bit too literally there. If you got a question, an email question, to answer me this podcast to googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast to googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Answer me this podcast at googlemail.com. Well, listeners, just to interject, I have some very exciting news to share with you. And if you're going, oh my God, she's pregnant, check yourself. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, No, my exciting news is that uh, I'm going to be making a new podcast along with Answer Me This, not instead of Answer Me This. Judas. What? You've got a whole radio show every day. (laughs) The reason why it's exciting, firstly, it will be all about etymology and why we say a thing is called a thing. You know, those questions that come up quite a lot and answer me this. Mm. And I have unending enthusiasm for them. Uh, And secondly, it will be with a friend of the show, Roman Mars's podcast network, Radiotopia. If if Radiotopia's current Kickstarter campaign raises over $400,000, because I am what is known as a stretch goal. You're pretty expensive. Yeah, all of that 400 grand is going straight to me, listeners. So if you want to finance me getting entirely gold-plated, then chip in. No, he's got this whole network of podcasts that are, are really bloody good, like mm. Love and Radio and uh, Strangers and But they're paid everything. for, and now they want a little bit more money so that you can get a bit of Zoltzman so, in on the act. Yeah, because who wouldn't want that, right? Yeah? It sounds like a good show. Is the theme tune going to be words by Boyzone? <laughs> Where do people go to donate to Radiotopia So that this dream of yours can happen Well I'll put a link on our website Roman seems very tightly wound with the pressure of the Kickstarter So just think I'm saving Roman Mars from an early grave If I give money to the Kickstarter That's nice yeah yes. And if I could interject at this point I see nothing from this deal So no, you know do This donate- is not for answering me this not This is only me- benefiting me And if, people who like etymology If you want to hear more of Helen talking about words By all means donate I might even do the same But wow. but, by really? All, but, but wow. really important If you're someone who's like Oh I've been listening to answer me this for years And I've always wanted to pay back Sit on that money will you Because one day we might ask for it That's not now One day we're going to do our own $400,000 Kickstarter And that's when we need you <laughs> some, some of you crazy treasures Donate to us just out the goodness of your hearts and uh, that's really nice you get first dibs on my kidney if you ever need one <laughs> here's a question from Sophie who says as the daughter of an American art historian who specialised in many European painters my family and I spent many summers in London in the late 80s and early 90s one of the highlights of those summers was our yearly trip to Madame Tussauds Rock Circus I just came to Rock Circus no I was very excited about hearing the words Rock Circus about hearing again. a little girl going to Rock Circus a few months ago says Sophie I considered going back to London for a trip with my husband and was crushed to see that the Rock Circus has closed. I'm not sure you should call it the Rock Circus. A not, Rock Circus. No, I'm just just Rock Circus. I'm pretty sure that uh, I think in some of the literature it was referred to as Two Swords Rock Circus, sometimes Madame Two Swords Rock Circus, sometimes just Rock Circus, and sometimes Rock Circus Trocadero. Yep. Uh, but I never saw it referred to as the Rock Circus. Yeah, but give her a break. She's she's foreign. And she's also devastated. She is devastated. This is grief adding that definite this, article. This is a woman who knows she will never again see an animatronic Tim Rice guide her through the countercultural <laughs> revolution. Uh, well, Sophie says, although I'm a fan of the original Madame Two Swords, mm-hmm. Ollie. Oh, it's not the original Madame Tussauds, just called Madame Tussauds. <laughs> uh, and have even visited the significantly less impressive Madame Tussauds in New York. I think that probably is the actual title of that. <laughs> my, my feeling is that nothing is as wonderful as the rock circus. That is right, Sophie. Live Aid every 15 minutes. Whoa, what would be wrong with that? Everything. Well, imagine if they had children in need every 15 minutes. You'd be screaming to be let out. 
answer me this. Did any of the three of you have the opportunity to experience the pure joy of Madame Tussauds Rock Circus? It's in- got the name right there. Including the rotating stage with terrifying animatronic musical figures. And do you have thoughts as to why it was not as successful as the other Tussauds attractions? I'm guessing that Ollie has thoughts on both these things. <laughs> I have none because I never went. Um, Marty, did you ever go? I think I've been to Two Swords, but I don't remember going to Two Swords. You went to the Birmingham Two Swords, didn't you, Martin? (laughs) I went to the shitty one in London. (laughs) It's just a big waxwork of Frank Skinner and then you're done. (laughs) (laughs) It's just Lenny Henry. There's loads of famous people from the Midlands. Ozzy Osbourne. Who else? Uh, Who do we say? Robert Plant. Robert Plant, yeah. Uh, That's it. That's it. Okay. Um, Tiffany, she lives in Paddock now. (laughs) What about uh, Abraham Darby? Thomas Telford. I feel like I need to explain what Rock Circus was. So Rock Circus was the best tourist attraction in the 80s and 90s for anyone under the age of 15, but particularly me. Why? Because you know the thing that they always say about Two Swords, which is you get to kind of feel like you're uh, ingratiating yourself among celebrities and you get to have your picture taken with celebrities. Right. That's obviously sort of true. But A, they're waxworks, so you know they're not the real thing. And B, if you're a kid, they're not, they tend not to be the people that you really want your picture taken with, mm. i.e. Ronald Reagan. Not bothered. <laughs> right. Frank but, Boff. <laughs> yeah, but, but, but Two Swords Rock Circus had, e.g., Jason Donovan, Bross. Bross were there. In fact, I think Jason Donovan opened Rock Circus. Wow. Um, and you could go and you could you could stand next to the uh, dummies and have your picture taken with them as if you'd actually met them. And that's very cool. And also, presumably, they had uh, quality late 80s hair and high-waisted denim. Absolutely. But it got cooler, Helen. So you went what in. What could be cooler? Uh, you went into what was a, a fairly big exhibition, but actually it's quite a small space in there. It was in the London Pavilion in the Trocadero. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they did, because they realised, I guess, that if you just went around looking at all the waxworks, you'd be done in about 20 minutes. The first part of it, you put on infrared headphones. Bear in mind, this is the early 90s. Very, terribly exciting. Very sophisticated. Mm. And the infrared headphones had big aerials coming out of them. So you, it looked futuristic and cool. Awesome. And you didn't have to talk to your relatives. Awesome. <laughs> um, and as you went up to each of the different waxworks, so let's say Billy Idol. Mm-hmm. You'd walk up to Billy Idol. Billy Idol would start playing in your headphones. All right, Ollie, how are you doing? Yeah, it didn't. It wasn't personalised. Oh, okay. But it would. I, I mean, I still. I, I was. I loved it so much. I still remember like what the narrator said. I think it was Paul Gambaccini, mm-hmm. uh, and the narrator said, for example, as you went up to um, Johnny Rotten. He doesn't like you at all. <laughs> Just remember it so fondly. This didn't happen at all when my mum took me to the Whispering Gallery in St Paul's Cathedral. No, I can imagine not. Um, although, actually, if you get very close to some of those uh, holy waxworks, I'm sure that you can hear them The big speak. man doesn't like you at all. <laughs> <laughs> um, so anyway, the centrepiece of the early part of the gallery was uh, live... I say live, obviously they're waxworks, but waxworks performing version of Live Aid. Uh, so I, from memory, uh, Elton John was playing the piano and then an animatronic Freddie Mercury came out the inside of the piano and sang to you. Whoa. Um, wow. And so it was, a good, it was a good kind of 10 minute display. Um, so it was great. So you had some moving waxworks, some stationary waxworks. And as you went up to each one, you learned about rock music history from the 1950s. Until to Jason 80s. Donovan. Until Jason Donovan, <laughs> when music had reached its perfection uh, and would never be surpassed again. You know, I actually met Jason Donovan a few weeks ago. And how rocking was that? Uh, it was a bit weird because... Um, so Jason Donovan and I were both attending the same charity event. No need to explain. We all know you're firm friends and he came round for tea. <laughs> and I felt so weird about that because I thought, wow, it's Jason Donovan and I and we're on some kind of yeah. equal level here. This that is insane. That guy's been in Neighbours. Yeah, exactly. And in Kylie. But then, of course, because it was for children, the charity event, when we got there, kids haven't got a clue who either of us are, but <laughs> certainly no idea who Jason Donovan is. And I suddenly thought, wow, that's so weird that... 
An eight-year-old now has no more idea who Jason Donovan is than who Ollie Mann is. That must smart um, for him more than you. Although the parents in the office were fainting at the sight of JD and uh, they no, seemed unmoved you. by me. Probably you. <laughs> Can't help feeling we're drifting off the point. Indeed. When, uh, when you finish Rock Circus yeah. and you got to what you thought was the end, what, what eight-year-old Ollie Mann thought was the end and thought would be the exciting bit, you'd already had your picture taken with David Bowie. And nothing could be more exciting than that. Uh, you get to the end, you then sit in a theatre. I love to sit, even then. Oh, sitting's brilliant. I loved shows. Yep. Right? With your infrared headphones still on, you then watch a show in a rotating theatre, uh, which takes you through four different stages of rock music. Thinking about it now, I suppose they were decades. I think it started in the 60s, ended in the 90s. Um, and your guide is an animatronic Tim Rice. Um, <laughs> of all the people to choose. So cool. And then it starts and finishes with an animatronic recreation of the cover art of Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club wow. Band. Wow. Um, and along the way, you see uh, Bruce Springsteen live, uh, the Eurythmics, um, with Dave Stewart popping out of Annie Lennox's head. Filth. Wow. She splits down the middle and Dave Stewart comes out the middle. It's like Athena springing forth from Zeus, fully formed. Yeah. Kiss, which actually I was always bored by. Mm. Um, and then some 80s stuff. Oh, yeah. Phil Collins doing the drum solo. Amazing. With dry ice and everything. So as Sophie's asking, why why would this go wrong when all the shit Madame Two Swords is go right? I've got a horrible feeling that actually they didn't update it soon enough. Mm. Well, it's uh, difficult, isn't it, that? Because trends change every few months. Yeah, well, well, sort of. Although, of course, the history of rock music decade by decade hadn't changed. But I suppose the problem is, whereas I was excited to see Jason Donovan in 1988, uh, by 1999, uh, mm. kids, certainly not. Yes. Uh, and they hadn't updated it until then. Uh, so only two years before it closed did they actually bother putting some money into updating it. And I think by then, if you haven't got the eight-year-olds interested... No, they're not going to go back when they're ten. You're not going to go back. More. Yeah, so I think that was partly it. And also, I guess, some of the people that they were immortalising at the peak of their fame, and obviously Freddie Mercury sadly no longer with us, but some of those people were still around and making hits. So, you know, the dummy they had of Elton John, Michael Jackson, George Michael, Tina Turner, by the 90s would have looked 20 years old and out of date. It's Except not like a Tina Madden Turner. Well, well, because she had the same face and continues to have the same face. Same legs, same, yeah. same hair. <laughs> Maybe. Same dresses. Um, so I think it was that Gary Glitter was one of the exhibits, so it definitely needed updating. Mm. Uh, so it was partly that. Um, but also... I don't know. I think maybe they uh, got done by the rents. I mean, nothing yes. in that building ever seems to really work, does it? It always closes after a few They're years. They're turning it into a hotel now, aren't they, the Trocadero? Oh, they've taken so long. Yeah, because no one really wants that. And it must be a pain in the ass to develop it. Anyway, we're getting into building rigs here. <laughs> but, uh, but also, do you think that by the early noughties, there was just this idea that maybe celebrities were becoming more accessible anyway, so you didn't have to go and stand next to a wax version? I mean, you could see it happening with, like, celebrity reality shows starting around then. Yes, I suppose also, it's odd to say now, when you think, you know, that the kids love, I don't know, One Direction and Justin Bieber, and they're back into what you might call music again. But if you think about the noughties, actually, maybe that was a decade where songs went straight to number one without much effort, uh, mm. and, you know, children had turned their backs on the sort of boy band, girl band formula. So actually, who were they going to Rock Circus to see? Well, you would have gone for Girls Aloud, wouldn't you? I don't know as an eight-year-old whether you would have. Mm. That's the issue. It's a pickle, isn't it? What yeah. do eight-year-olds want out of wax? <laughs> <laughs> but you know what? There's all this talk of them rebuilding the Crystal Palace. Oh, they yeah, don't know yeah. what to put in it. Rock Circus. Yeah. <laughs> it's not a bad idea. It's Well, it's not a worse idea than whatever they are going to do. I suppose the technology as well felt slightly more dated as the years went on. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I was devastated when it was closed because I, I like the idea that I would one day take my children there, but it's gone. I think just once you've seen Jurassic Park, the idea of going to town with a load of wax celebrities doesn't seem as exciting. <laughs> Maybe that's true. You, you want them raging around in their natural habitat. <laughs> <laughs> 
A lot of you commented that in Answer Me This 300, you very much enjoyed hearing Josie Long answer your questions. Oh, so yes. uh, for today's intermission, we're going to pluck a little bit of Answer Me This episode 84, because way back in 2009, she came and did a whole episode with us. That's right. So it's one of many of our back catalogue that you can buy and support the show by doing so. So thank you from AnswerMeThisStore.com. If you're a doctor, once your patient dies, are you allowed to play with their tits? Okay, so there's about three questions here, because the first question is, would you want to? Second question is, why would you want to? Uh, and the third question is you children are never allowed to become doctors <laughs> you could get away with it yeah. I think you probably I think probably you take an oath that's kind of anti that kind of thing I remember thinking that when I was 14 as well like you know if, if you thought that <laughs> I didn't think I'd really do it but it's a fantasy I think when you're that age and you can't really get any action that you think well if someone was asleep if they didn't know or like you know if what if what if I saw a dead body then I could have a quick look they wouldn't know no one would know the whole really? point of fantasy is you're inventing it. You can do whatever you want. Mm-hmm. So in your fantasies, mm-hmm. you could sleep with anyone, but you your just self-esteem is so course, low <laughs> that you'd go, well, I'm not going to go above myself. I won't choose someone to live it because they wouldn't be interested. So ooh, I suppose I can have corpses or dogs. Here's a question from Andrew in San Francisco who says, I've recently moved to America and as I've been driving around, I've been noticing... I should probably drive on the right like everybody else. (laughs) Um, I've been noticing those signs that welcome you as you enter different towns. Uh, They're nearly always with the current population underneath, sometimes with three or four visible layers of stickers as the number has been updated. Mm. This is, you know, where it says, you know, anus, population 1,492. Yeah. Speak for yourself, mate. So, Helen, answer me this. How often are the population numbers on these signs updated, and how accurate are they? But they're obviously not accurate. They can't no. be updated every day for every baby that's born no. and every person that dies well also it's quite it's quite expensive it's apparently five hundred dollars to update them is it really yes presumably to get someone out and uh, on on a busy road with their stickers yeah get the stickers printed I nice current is census data they only do that every 10 years yes yeah, so the, the last census is 2010 but the state department of administration issues annual population updates the problem is that there's sort of mixed jurisdiction for the signs. So some of them are, are administered by the town in question and some of them by the Department of Transport mm. and they don't necessarily get along. So generally, the town has to make a request based on a substantial change in population right. and they have to have made no previous formal requests in, in the last five years. Really? Yeah, if it's costing $500 to do it each time, you don't want to be pissing around every time someone has a baby, do you? Well, yeah, or someone sure, dies. but if you've got, for example, a big factory that's been built in your town and suddenly you've had a wave of immigration... Yeah, or like Detroit, that, the population sank really hugely, fast. Yeah, yeah, that's something that I think is worth $500 to correct, isn't what it? What are the $500 a year... Would be not unless you were a really really small town. That yeah. would be yeah. totally fine. But also remember the problem that a lot of towns have several roads going in, and not all of the signs have the same number on. Disastrous. So you get you get a wildly differing population depending on which route you took into okay, town. Okay, so it's not that you're just looking in your rearview mirror and thinking, "Fuck, five hundred people have died since I drove yeah. in here." Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was the apocalypse. Presumably, there is a digital solution to this, but you know, the, the whole point of these signs, I think, is to evoke a kind of small town Americana from the days when yeah. actually people would on the Pioneer Trail go blazing along. For miles before they found a place they'd never heard of before and digital culture doesn't really ring true with that kind of vibe it's also a facet of big town americana where they're like hey you've not heard of our town we've got six hundred thousand inhabitants oh, so screw true. you but they've d- i've not seen one with a digital sign that updates constantly no. i guess it'd be depressing as well because every time someone died it would go down by one yeah but they could make it into a fun gamified event i haven't seen these population signs at nearly every town i've been to in the states which is loads 
given the road trips that we go on. But you do get a lot of signs saying the town's elevation, which sometimes is useful when you're in the mountains. But if it's like 200 feet, it's really an issue. But it's again, I just think it's a way... An Americans really like this idea, yeah, that every town yeah. has a thing. that like they, Civic pride. Like the water tower thing. Mm. Like most towns don't need water towers, but even new towns that get built in America have fake water They're towers. fake! Some of them. Wow! Yeah, because it's, Madness. you know, your small town America has a water tower. That's what it has. And also at some point, those water towers are going to become alive like evil tripods and start marching <laughs> across the country as an evil army. Um, also, a thing that I've very rarely seen are those signs that you see in films where it's like, you are now leaving Colorado. Oh, and yeah. There's this enormous billboard. Most of those signs are pretty small and subdued. Some of them are downright ugly. Whereas for you, if there was one that did say you are now leaving Tunbridge Wells, that would be the yeah. most exciting carnival-style sign in the world. <laughs> Just be a picture of me flipping the bird <laughs> out the back of a car. <laughs> well, from American roads to a very British one, here's a question from Robbie from Elon in Aberdeenshire, who says, Like many proud Brits, I sat and watched the Trooping of the Colour on TV. Ollie, answer me this. Why is the tarmac on the Mal red? Okay, so for people listening perhaps abroad who don't know what the Mal is... Or what Trooping of the Colour is. I think it's just a bizarre ritual involving the Queen's henchmen having a little organised dance. So, so, is it a horse, like a horse, horse and soldiers walking about display? Um, the Mall is the road from Buckingham Palace to, well, I guess Trafalgar Square-ish, it does, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah, and it goes up past uh, St James's Park and uh, the ICA. It is a ceremonial route. Well, that explains why it's so straight and wide. Yeah, it was inspired by lots of other countries. Actually, we didn't really have it as a ceremonial route, believe it or not, until like the 1940s. Did they copy from Paris or something? Yeah, exactly. So other countries had these things where Hitler, for example, where they'd go on big parades and they thought, we've got to get me one of those. We we, won the war. Yeah, we need somewhere for marathon runners to go up. (laughs) Yeah. So the Mall was always there, but they decided to paint it red and make it more of a ceremonial thing, leading right up to Buckingham Palace, painted to... uh, uh, install a sense of national pride and, and mm. you know, reaffirm the monarchy at the centre well, of everything after the war. I find uh, my national pride is very much stirred by tarmac. <laughs> well, as much as anything, actually. If they hadn't used synthetic iron oxide pigment, Helen, you may not be proud to be British. Just think about <laughs> oh, that. God damn it. Was it to coincide with when the Queen got in? Yes, more or less. Mm-hmm. And the intention was to mimic a giant red carpet. That makes sense. Right. But it's covered in dead leaves and stuff. Yeah. Well, I think if they actually laid out a massive carpet, that would have been felt to be a waste of money after the war. You know, people still on rations. <laughs> yeah. And then in the 90s, they probably would have replaced the carpet with wood laminate. Do you know why it's called the Mall? No. Now, this is interesting. It is called the Mall because Charles II liked playing a sort of croquet-like game, Pal Mall, on the Mall. And in tribute to his liking of that game, they decided to rename what is now the Mall, the Road by the Palace, the Mal, which is a bit like, uh, you know, renaming Mayfair after Mahiki because Prince Harry liked it. <laughs> Weird, isn't it? In the 90s, I hired a 12-person web team To build and run my websites and realise my tech dream Then the dot-com bubble burst and I had to drown them in a stream Why didn't I just sack them? But now, thanks to Squarespace, you can do it alone And build a lovely website for tablet or smartphone Enjoy it now, cause in ten years you'll be replaced by a drone Just like Terminator 3 Thanks very much to Squarespace for supporting this episode of Answer Me This. And uh, I've been having a jolly time using Squarespace 7. Have you? Which is their new interface. So you can see 
what you're designing as you design it. I wondered why you were in seventh heaven. It's certainly not the seventh circle of Squarespace hell. Um, oh no. Uh, thank you very much as well for everyone who is actually taking up the offer of a year's subscription to their service because if you do that and you use the code ANSWER you not only get 10% off but it's also a way of sending a message to the uh, Squarespace overlords that uh, you would like to see them continue to support our show which we appreciate. Indeed. Well here's a question from Chris in Hollywood. Uh, he says immediately <laughs> to preempt any conversation around this. Hollywood. Not that one. Uh, the one in Brum. Hollywood. So much Shame. of the Midlands is a mystery to me. The only places I've knowingly been in the Midlands. Las Vegas in Staffordshire. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are uh, Martin's parents' house and the, oh, yeah. and the Emma Bridgewater factory, uh, yes. which I think are not representative of the region as a whole. Anyway, I never knew there was a Hollywood in Brum, so thanks for educating me, Chris. Yes. <laughs> uh, he says, Helen, answer me this. Why were the Chippendales called the Chippendales? Can I just say straight away, why is he using the past tense? The Chippendales still very much a going concern, I believe. Absolutely. Are we talking about the strippers? We are talking about the strippers, right, yes. yes. We're doing that. Yes, right. the Beefcake Gentleman strippers. <laughs> and, and, when, and when I loaded up their, their website earlier, they looked the same as they did. Like I, I think their heyday was kind of early, mid-90s. Mm. But I laughed to see them. You were in the room. Didn't I laugh, Ollie? You did laugh. I laughed you and laughed. laughed. Yes. Not with lust. No. Pure mirth. They're not my type of guys, I guess. Yeah, I wonder if they ever were anyone's type of guys in the sense that, that all of that baby oil is almost ironising, isn't it? And Which makes it tan. easier for the girls' night out to have a laugh with than yeah. if it was actually someone who was, you know, genuinely... Quite sexual. Animalistically exciting, yeah. yeah. And the thing about the chip does is that they've always had that built-in naffness. Yes. I think it makes it a bit easier to go or go to on a hen-do. Yeah, I guess so. And, and they do seem to be sold far more at women than at gay men. Yes, I noticed this when I was in Vegas, actually. There are a lot of male strip shows there, and all of them uh, are marketed squarely at straight women. Wow. Like, there's no, there's one called Thunder from Down Under. Of course. Um, <laughs> they fart. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, which is interesting, isn't it, when you think, yeah, the, you would imagine the gay market would be, would be big, but apparently not. Maybe. I, I get so embarrassed at strip shows of any kind. Uh, I've never been to one. I, uh, well, I've been to, like, on stag do's. Stag. I've stag. I've been to strip bars, and I just Titty bars. can't enjoy it. Mm. Mm. I mean, aesthetically, I occasionally will find one of the ladies attractive. It'd be better on your own, though, wouldn't it, rather than surrounded by your male friends? It would just be, I honestly think it would be better on video. Yes. It's just like a bit, you know, they're, they're dancing around to Whitney Houston and they're, you know, popping things out of their fannies, and it's yeah. just a bit weird. Yeah. And what's weirder is they then sit on your lap and try and talk to you, and it's just Jeez. for money and makes you feel dirty and soiled. Maybe some people like that feeling. Male strippers, I mean, I've never been to a male strip show, but I've been in, like, my local Greek restaurant, weirdly. Um, one of the brothers who runs the restaurant at Christmas time, when they have a lot of Christmas parties in, will come in and do a strip tea. Oh. Oh God. And I've been in there like having trying to have a normal sort of moussaka meal with my parents. <laughs> and there's this Greek guy in a thong. And you're like, drop him, drop him, drop him. Well, what's weird is obviously when it's a man, the kind of like I was saying about the Chippendales, it's ironised somehow. Yeah. And it's all a laugh. Like the women are supposed to sort of squeal and shriek and have a laugh with it. Whereas when it's a woman, the men are supposed to be sexually aroused. Yeah. But it's still just, I don't know what to do with myself. I don't no. know. I don't have the appropriate face to deal with it. Hmm. And it makes me feel incredibly awkward. Right. Well, maybe it's appropriate then that the sad truth about the Chippendales is that uh, they were called after the furniture because the club where they were set up, the uh, guy who set them up thought, this club looks like it's got Chippendale furniture in. So they're nothing more than furniture. Isn't that awful? Wow. Oh, well, that's one interpretation. I mean, most people who work as male strippers would be happy to be objectified. Well, I mean, maybe I, that's the difference as well. They're resigned to it, but, but I mean, they're, they're, they're animated unlike furniture. They're living human <laughs> furniture. Yeah. That's terrible. Maybe. I just think it's different when you're it's a male stripper. I don't think... 
men are used to being objectified in society and being forced to to be viewed that way for them it's a novelty to be like oh there's a six pack yeah women have that all too often but anyway there was a lot of darkness actually that i had not registered because it happened when i was probably too young to know about the chippendale murders and such scandals what yeah the chippendales were set up by a man called steve Banerjee and uh, his partner bruce nahin Banerjee was eventually uh, he was charged with uh, having enlisted somebody to plot to kill some former chippendales dancers that he felt were a threat to the current chippendales that were only a few years old okay. and um, apparently he also orchestrated the murder of his former choreographer and partner and uh, also tried to have his current partner murdered uh, what a bad apple then he hanged himself in prison Ooh, so, uh, didn't harm the franchise, nice. though. Extraordinary. Not, not very nice. And and also, the idea for the Chippendales in the first place uh, as a nightclub promotional skit came from Paul Snyder, who was the man who killed his playboy playmate wife, Dorothy Stratton, because uh, she was going to run off with the director, Peter Bogdanovich. Well, this so is much death. all goes to show why we should all keep our clothes on. So I think this was a huge scandal in the early 90s, but beyond my ken as a, as a, a, a dorky teen in Tunbridge Wells. Mm. But maybe that did dent the brand somewhat and make it seem less kind of shiny and fun and like hey ladies have fun mm. when there's all this murder happening behind the scenes the other thing that strikes me as quite odd about the Chippendales is their signature outfit is the bow ties and the dress shirt mm. which actually is the very place you wouldn't expect to see a working class buff kind of car mechanic type thing you know basically mm. an Oxford drinks luncheon I mean that's the outfit they're wearing isn't it like what they're playing on actually is beefcake yeah. but then they dress up like Boris Johnson what's that about? <laughs> What, what is that tapping into in the female psyche, I wonder? I feel like the absence of the shirt sleeves in front is of critical importance in this equation. <laughs> yeah. For Boris Johnson to Chippendale. <laughs> uh, well, here's another question about people who are objectified at work. It's from Carl on holiday in Canada. Ollie, answer me this. Is there a minimum cup size you must be in order to work as a waitress at Hooters? Oh, fantastic. Just... I've, I've been waiting eight years for a question about Hooters. Thanks. <laughs> Questions about Hooters. <laughs> I'm just curious, as Hooters is certainly not a place I'd pop into for a burger and nachos what about chicken wings let alone a coffee with a huge pair of tits in my face expecting a tip after all girls aren't really my thing everyone's always saying that about you Carl Carl the gay we guessed it Carl from the font you chose to email us in (laughs) yeah I mean you're the one objectifying the women here Carl by saying that they're just a huge pair of tits in your face I mean they're attached to a woman yes but they are employed really in order to wear rather tit and leg revealing garb aren't they they are although look hooters has been going for a long time now so no one who's applying for a job there is under any illusion about what the outfit is they have to wear clue is in the name (laughs) and actually in fairness to hooters Mm -hmm. i mean i'm quite defensive about hooters because i've been a couple of times with my girlfriend who genuinely enjoys being there as well because it's such she loves tits no she just loves the sort of americana aspect of it Mm. like we wouldn't go to one if there was one in london but i have been to the hooters in some fun locations like beverly hills and fort lauderdale you went in miami didn't you Um, yeah and when you're in those places uh, and they are genuinely sort of at a beach and serving margaritas and buffalo wings um and there is a kind of good time spirit yes there is an element of sexual objectification of course there is but it's an inclusive one it's not um it, what am i trying to say it comes from the look is it like saucy seaside postcard humor yeah it's somewhere okay. between that and page three but what it right. isn't is pornography and it definitely isn't a strip bar yeah but you can be titillating without being straightforward pornography it can still be degrading to women yeah the, look there are degrees on a graph but what I'm, I'm just saying is actually compared to a lot of the influences in our culture now you go to hooters and it actually seems like innocent fun right it's inclusive there's lots of women there eating and drinking if you were caught whacking off there you get thrown out exactly <laughs> there are men working there too it's just are they're they? not the ones serving you what, what, what are they wearing um, 
uh, they are wearing, of course, a full three-piece suit. <laughs> um, and a bow tie. But also, the, the, there is a misconception that you need to have big whammers to work there, and you don't. You have to have nice whammers, though, presumably. You, you actually, uh, no, you, you just have to be wearing the outfit. Yeah, but you can't be out of shape, can you? Um, like, you couldn't be a size 20 and wear the Hooters outfit, could you? The only larger women I've seen there also have very large breasts. Uh, otherwise I haven't seen large women with flat chests but I have seen shapely women with flat chests and certainly it doesn't seem to be about the shape of your breasts as to whether you get a job there they Okay, couldn't, They couldn't legally do that could they? I mean I know it's a questionable buzz business model but they they would get sued if they... Well, they have been sued, but they tend to win. Oh, um, really? I mean, they've been sued on the basis of discrimination because they employ Hooters girls rather than boys... What in, about men with moobs? Rather than a selection of <laughs> Why not anyone think of the moobs? Um, um, I mean, it is quite funny. I mean, because of that kind of legal hot water, if you go on the Hooters website and try and find out what their conditions of employment are and you look up what makes a Hooters girl, you would almost not have any idea that there was anything about tits involved at all. Mm. Uh, it says, train to excel in customer service. Hooters girls provide the energy, charisma and engaging conversation that keeps guests coming back. Notice, mm. no mention about tits. Much more than just a pretty face, not tits. Mm. Hooters girls have game. That's what they go with. Hooters girls have game. They're intelligent and attentive, using their energy, experience, and personalities, not tits, okay. to serve guests everywhere, with to their live tits. in the moment with their tits, and take a break <laughs> from the outside world where they don't see so many tits. Their it tits. doesn't say anything about tits. And actually, it's implied. In fairness, I think, you know, compare it to the men who stand outside Abercrombie and Fitch wearing virtually nothing, and they are just there to be objectified. Like, actually, the women at Hooters, A, they get lots of tips. B, they are actually serving you, and C, they do actually then engage you in conversation, and they are, you, they're getting tips based on, you know, whether they're fun people. Yeah, but then they ought to be able to wear what they want to work, and if well, what they want to wear to work is like dungarees and a big coat, yeah, they should be allowed to and do look, that. I agree not. with you, and I wouldn't set hooters up, but I can't honestly pretend that it offends me, and I'm not going to pretend to be offended just because I think it's an out-of-date business model. Okay, well, I've never been, but obviously my critique of the establishment would be whether they brought me a proper cup of tea or they brought me a tea bag on the <laughs> Of a cup of rapidly cooling water. Do they have real owls as well? Because that's what's on their logo. I yes, assume that's what point. the business model is. Oh, real owls. I thought you said real ales, and I genuinely don't know the answer to that. <laughs> yeah, out um, of an optic shape like tits. They had an airline for a while, I think. They Hooters. did. They have an airline. They have a hotel now as well. Where? Uh, Vegas, of course. Of course. Yeah, it's not going to be Mayfair, is it? <laughs> well, I don't know. Dalai Lama probably wouldn't stay there if it was. Probably their, uh, their salad buffet is excellent. <laughs> well, listeners, uh, we've come to the climactic end of Answer Me This, episode 301. But please do supply your questions for our next episode and all of our contact details are on our website. AnswerMeThisPodcast.com uh, Where every Thursday that there isn't an episode of Answer Me This, Helen does a lovely blog post called Thursday Listening Party. Yes, I do, don't I? Uh, where she mm. lists lots of things that you could be filling your ears with sometimes was, yeah. featuring us yeah. sometimes just things that we like yep um, and one of those things remember is the media podcast which is a show that i present talking to power players from the british media scene who work in film and radio and stuff yeah and it's uh, available at themediapodcast.com and please do remember to check out our sponsors squarespace.com using the code answer if you buy and uh, to chip in a tiny bit of money to the radiotopia kickstarter one pound would be very good five pounds would be five times as good but wait there's more there's something that will make the end of this show five times better your annual treat of a song from martin yes because martin is not just that echoey man that talks about bulls a lot he's a multifaceted jewel that also makes beautiful music don't you martin
Uh, yeah, I do. Thank you. Uh, yeah, this is this is a song from my new album. The album is called Through Intermittent Rain, and it's uh, it's available at martinorstrick.bandcamp.com. And I'm not asking for any money. Just download it, enjoy it, um, pay what you want, and you can put zero in that box. So, Martin, tell us about your song. It's a song called uh, You'll Know More Than a Mile from the Beach. It's about uh, oil. Uh, how brilliant oil is, because you can make lots of cool stuff with it, and it's really silly that we burn it, and it is about as sensible as taking computers and smashing them up so that you can make a beach from the silicon. It's not something you hear in all of your top 40 hits. We dragged all the computers from our homes and offices Stamped down on them angrily until our circuits buckled Warped and split Like a Jacob's cracker Their brains crumbled in our hands So we took all of these microchips and smashed them up to make a load of sand. We put it all together to make the silver sand dunes in the Thames estuary. From Parliament to Essex, they're the only thing that's holding back the sea. Sunbathing, people do, they come for miles around. You can't quite see the ocean, but you can hear the waves that crashing down. Got all of the aspirin and we ground it down To make fake silver linings for artificial clouds To spruce up gala openings of large sporting events Where the thousands congregate to shout inside a tent And cry They cry and when it rains Nobody gets headaches for a while So sports are very popular Cos everyone has headaches all of the time All the fibre optics were melted down To make a giant martini glass Built a paper forest With books for trees And newspapers for grass People walk among the inky leaves That once upon a time were words And occasionally these bookworms Will be carried off by overzealous birds Constant headaches are the only natural houses there will be In the city of the future where you're no more than a mile from the beach 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 beach. 